So, uh, Spectacular Spider-Man number 36 has a cover by Ed Hannigan and is written by Bill Mantlo, penciled by Jim Mooney, uh, colored by Ben Sean, and lettered by Jim Novak. Uh, Peter meets his fellow TAs, uh, including he meets Philip again uh, after that whole thing with the white dragon. Um, And then there's another TA named Chip who's got some fucking problem, and all of this stuff. Um, But, and I forget the other guy's name, who's kind of a... He's a little bit of a dick. He's kind of a dick to Chip. Harold? Uh, uh, was it? I forget. Um, I'll look it up. That up. Um, yeah, he's a bit of a dick. Yeah, I mean, and I mean, like, you know, I don't know. Like, it's, it's, Steve Chip Hopkins. is clearly, is it Steve Hopkins? Okay. Yes. Steve fucking steve uh chip is clearly having issues yeah chip is having problems of some kind and so that's why i say steve's a little bit of a dick like he's kind of i'm getting a little bit of a flash thompson kind of vibe yeah where it's just kind of (laughs) like you're weird and it's just kind of like you're an asshole don't you don't have to be this way yeah let's just leave him alone (laughs) But uh, as this is going on, Professor Morris is examining the skeleton of Fritz von Who Gives a Shit, a.k.a. Swarm, who was last seen in Champions. Uh, Unsurprisingly, this does not go well, and Swarm is loosed on ESU's campus. Spider-Man confronts him, blah, blah, blah. I think the science world needs to take a moratorium on just blasting shit with radiation to see what it'll do. Like, like, right? just take a year off, guys. Like, yeah. like, you know, you're not doing an MRI. This isn't anything like that, or that's not even an MRI. What am I thinking of with the radiological um, viewing? You're not doing that. Um... You're just blasting shit with radiation to see what happens, and you're restarting all these supervillains. Quit it. Yeah. You're Quit either it. creating new ones or <laughs> reactivating ones who had previously been dormant. And it turns out there's, like, a queen in his skull. So, yeah. sure, why not? I I um, don't know how that's there, but okay. Um, it's Swarm. I'm not going to worry about it too hard. Uh, yeah. I mean... When you're when you're dealing with a Nazi made of bees, <laughs> you can't really get hung up on like. But where did the queen come from? Okay, it, I mean, fine. It's a, it's a He's Nazi. a Nazi made of bees. <laughs> He's a Nazi made of bees. What do you want? Um, and yeah, he gets out. He reconstitutes himself. They have a fight. Uh, Spider Man's on his back foot. Um, it's 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 kind of like uh, back when Force Awakens came out. I was working at UMB Bank, and one of my coworkers was complaining because he he was saying that Kylo Ren's lightsaber, the 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 uh, kind of cross guard, yeah, didn't make a lot of sense, <laughs> and uh, like he was going off on it, and like at the time. There wasn't anything in it. We find out later, like, it's because the 
kyber crystal is fucked up and so it's venting some of it out the sides uh-huh. whatever but uh at the time that was not known uh and he was complaining about it and i'm like so let me see if i understand this your problem with the movie about telepathic space wizards is that one of their magic swords looks a little dumb am i am i understanding that correctly and he's just like well hi and like don't get me wrong i am i am okay with conversations about um like fan uh sci-fi and fantasy weaponry and what is and is not a uh a feasible weapon but also telepathic space wizards yeah i i am <laughs> i i am fine with uh it just depends on the tenor of the conversation for me. Are we having right. fun or and breaking are we having fun and breaking down the impracticality of Kyle Ren's lightsaber or any lightsaber honestly? Like well, right. are we do are we doing that in in good faith? I guess like we're both on the same side having a conversation about it or are you mad? Because mm. if it's the second one I'm going to do what you did and remind you that this is a franchise about space wizards who shoot ray guns at each other. I don't... I am not going to get that deep into it if it's going to make you upset, right? right? Or if you're already upset, I'm not coming to meet you there because I just want to have fun with it. Like, I can do... We can do that all day as long as we're both having fun. But if you're right. pissed, I don't give a shit. Yeah. Um, anyway, I mean, that's the same thing with any, the comic book movies and like Rick and Morty we were talking about earlier, like all of this stuff, it's like, if you're just having fun and you want to break down how impractical it is for the Red Room to be in a cloud like that, I'm cool. We can have that conversation all day, but like, right. if it's, well, actually, like, no, 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 shh put my finger to your lips no no we don't let things be stupid (laughs) (laughs) it's not it's not that hard you just let things be stupid sometimes it gets out of hand but like this is a movie about space wizards they know okay yeah Ultimately, ultimately, the only time I get real, really annoyed is when you 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 violate the rules you laid out. You can have if you're as gonna violate, yeah. If you're gonna violate them, there's got to be a good fucking reason for why you're able to. Mm-hmm. If you, but if you violate them and it's just like not a thing, no, no, yeah, that does I, not I, work for me. I I I don't care. If you have clear, if you have clear rules, or you have intentionally murky rules as well, mm-hmm. like the force was that way on purpose, um, because they were making it up because nobody knows what they're doing. Uh, movies with Mikey, and then I, if you violate the rules you set out when you as you're making them, then no, I, 
that's bad. But like, if it's if you know you're making a movie about space wizards, go nuts. And and I do wanna I do wanna um, be clear. If you are following along with us, and you notice that I have completely done the thing I am demonizing right now, <laughs> do not do not email me to tell me. Do not DM me on Twitter to tell me that I am a hypocrite, because I already fucking know. Yeah. I know I'm a hypocrite. I don't care. <laughs> not when it comes to this stuff, because it's not important. Uh, Come at me, bro. Yeah. Uh, but anyway. All so right. Spectacular Spider-Man number 37 has a cover by Michael Nasser and Joe Rubinstein. Ink is inked by Pablo Marcos, colored by George Russos, and lettered by Clem Robbins. Uh, Spider-Man fails to stop Swarm, who begins building a giant hive in the square. Uh, Peter is stung all to shit um, and uh, stumbles out of a bathroom in civilian clothes. Uh, and they're just like, oh shit, you are not doing well. And he's like, yeah, it kind of sucks. I won't uh, lie. I'm full uh, of bee venom. I didn't know that was a thing, but I'm more, I am more bee stinger than I am, man. <laughs> yeah. Um, but he and his fellow TAs uh, start working to uh, adapt a repellent uh, for use against Swarm. Uh, Peter bows out after they've finished it. Uh, you know, kind of claims cowardice. God, prompting Marcy to just lay the fuck into him. And I'm like, hey! Hey! I, I will give her credit. She does apologize to him in the Spectacular Spider-Man annual. Right. But like, Seriously, the man was just stung to shit by bees. Like, you can't blame him for not wanting to run outside and be stung by more bees. Yeah. Um, but, but she's she's been riding him the whole time since she showed mm -hmm. up. And so, like, I, I get it. But, like, this one was... And, you know, it's 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 fitting that this one was the one that she ends up apologizing for because this is a bit much Marcy. Right. Like you can be pissed and be like, well, fuck. Okay, fine. We'll talk about this later or whatever. But like, she straight up calls him out and, uh, in front of everyone, in front of everyone and is a jerk. She's, yeah. And like, damn back off. Yeah. All right. Yeah. And they, and but, they go outside uh, and immediately get beset by bees, uh, and lose <laughs> who all. Who knew? Who knew? Uh, lose all of the uh, uh, repellent that they were making. Spider-Man. That they were carrying because there's still some back in the lab, right? Which Peter uses to douse his costume and mixes with the webbing, um, and then he goes out and confronts Swarm, and. Eventually, the repellent takes effect. The queen dies, and Swarm is once again rendered inert. Um, I'm really, I'm really torn on Swarm because there are two wolves inside me. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> no, I I'm joking. Um, no, there's a there's a part of me that's like comics are a serious art form, and yeah. characters like Swarm really take me out of the story with how fucking stupid they are. <laughs> and then there's another part of me that's just like, be Nazi. <laughs> like, I, you know. Those things can exist inside the same medium. You can do both. Um, and that's that's fine. That's, I just... I think that's... The, comics excel when they do both well. Like, yeah. though, the, the best thing about... Like, I mean, it's fucking... Is that Harvey Pekar? It's just words and pictures. You can do anything with her words and pictures. And uh, they they fucking sing to me to me, right? And I know I'm weird, but like to me, they sing when they do just the stupidest shit and also kick you in the gut occasionally. Well, right, and you know you can you can have like Robbie and Peter. Really having a serious conversation about what it at means the waterfront, to, what it means to be a man and take care of yourself and your family and those around you, and also be Nazi. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just a few issues <laughs> later, Nazi made of bees. I, God, I love comics sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> well, and that's the thing. Like, I get all. I get pissy with the people that get pissy about how yeah. this is some of this. There's there's a difference between uh, bad, like stupid, terrible writing or character choices that don't make sense to me or things like that. Like there's a different like I can disagree with the way that a story goes or something like that. But then I don't I, I get people with the people who are like. This is stupid. This bee Nazi is stupid. I'm like, it's comics. That's that's on. That's what it's supposed to do. Yeah, it's cape comics. That's what it's supposed to do. Um, well, yeah, you know, you. Of course, you're gonna. You're always gonna have people like that where it's just like, oh, I was really upset with the newest episode of My Little Pony. And how it it focused so hard, like not everything can be caught, uh, can be solved through the power of friendship. And it's like, what fucking show are you watching? <laughs> it's My Little Pony. My f- or friendship, friendship is magic. Is magic. <laughs> like that's what? that's the premise of the universe. You is are that everything taking so- in. <laughs> They solve world hunger with friendship. I don't know how you did that, but like, no, I didn't. I, I have never. Well, seen and once show. again, once again, <laughs> that go, that goes back to the um, the Rick and Morty. The thing. like, it's just it's really dumb how a character in Star Wars is able to. Hey, magic hey. space wizards, bro. <laughs> yeah. Hey, hey. This is me. I like. I'm not. I am fully a. We are doing the way that I approach this show is that to find the more intricate storytelling stuff that they do in these comics that I fully understand are made for 15 year olds, right? They do really, really interesting things 
in a medium cape comics that are for 15 year olds especially in the 70s so like i i'm here for the things that they sneak in i also enjoy watching spider-man punch a man made of bees in the face because that's i'm sorry i'm still also a 15 year old boy that's cool right so chill all right. Yeah, it's like I'm a I'm a very seri- I'm a very serious person mm. who is I am who is who engages with media to the best of my ability and who is able to I think occasionally occasionally cogently discuss mm-hmm. um, the deeper themes at work, but also like. Farts are funny. Yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, like, you know. Seriously. Yeah. yeah. Like, why, I can sit here and argue, you know, we can talk all day about why farts are funny. Uh, but farts are funny. They all right. are. Sorry. Within reason. It de- I mean, they can be overdone. Yeah. But anyway. Uh, all right. Amazing Spider-Man Annual number 13 has a cover by Keith Pollard, Bob McCloud, and Irving Watanabe, and is written by Marv Wolfman, penciled by John Byrne, inked by Terry Austin, colored by Glynis Ween, lettered by John Costanza, and edited by Marv Wolfman. Spider-Man is drawn into the seeming suicide of a government agent by a mysterious man who knows his secret. Um, The murderer turns out to be Jimbo Ryan, who has stolen uh, some plans from Dr. Octopus and is now being hunted by him. Uh, Spider-Man tries to locate Ryan, uh, which leads to an altercation in which he rips off one of Otto's arms um, and uh, is a, he, he winds up at this construction site, he winds up having to face a choice between taking down Dr. Octopus or rescuing Ryan from a fatal fall to make sure he is able to um, to confess to Blake's murder. Um, and he opts to save Ryan. Uh, he confesses, as a result of which um, Blake's Blake's widow is able to uh, collect the insurance benefits uh, because they were not going to be paid out in the event of a suicide. Um, While he is talking to the widow Blake as Peter Parker, he sees a picture of Blake... um, and realizes that the mysterious man who appeared to him uh, was actually Blake's ghost. So, yeah. I also, I like at the very, it's, I think it's, no, it's the beginning of the uh, spectacular annual where he's just like, um, I saw a ghost. I'm not going to deal with that. Nope. No, I did a good thing. I helped the lady get her money. How? I don't want to deal with this. Uh, I, I mean, I, I feel like, I feel like, 
while while Peter is of course a scientist, mm-hmm. um, and that his his bailiwick is sort of the science villains, and uh, you know, science and technology gone awry. Mm-hmm. He has had run-ins with Doctor Strange and with some of these other more mystical. So, you know, the existence of a ghost can't come as a complete surprise. But I do, uh, yeah, he kind of just has to be like, okay, going to put that in a box, going <laughs> to lock that box away. We're not going <laughs> to dig into that. Um, <laughs> if I remember it, maybe I'll bring it up with Doc uh, and say, hey, I met a ghost. How often is that? And he's going to, yeah. you know, Doc, Doctor Strange is just going to be like, um... I I normally do demons and stuff, but uh no, I've done ghosts before. Uh they're fine. Did you, yeah. did, you did you bring the ghost? I play pe- poker with some ghosts occasionally. Like, yeah. Did you uh did you did you help it peacefully Nah, I just got his wife some money. Uh, I proved that he was murdered. Yeah, that's great. That's exactly what I would do. Okay. Alright. I just yeah. like, the idea of them talking and being like Nope, that's what you do with ghosts. <laughs> All right. Yep. So, um, what? Other than that, this it's it's an annual. It's a little bloated for me, but it's fine. Well, yeah, and you know, between the two of these, since they're sort of a continuing story, yeah, mm-hmm. it does wind up a little bit, but whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, Spectacular Spider-Man Annual Number One. Has a cover by Rich Buckler and is written by Bill Mantlow, penciled by Rich Buckler, inked by Jim Mooney, colored by Bob Sharon, lettered by Jim Novak, and edited by Al Milgram. Uh, Spider-Man and Dr. Octopus battle over a nuclear sub at the Navy dockyard. Uh, during the battle, the sub is damaged, uh, causing it to take on water, and Octavius is dragged to the bottom of the river when one of his arms gets caught it's a Uh, it's a bit i mean there's a there's a lot of faffery that happens around that but that's basically what happens yeah um i i guess we already kind of spoiled the two things that i that were the most interesting to me which were uh the oh (laughs) dealt with a ghost and also the uh marcy coming and being like okay um i was a bit of a jerk and he's like, you were a giant jerk. And she's like, okay. And he goes, I don't understand, you know, I don't understand what your deal is with me, but you clearly do not like me. And uh, that's fine. I just don't get it. Um, and uh, he, she's like, look, I've seen your transcripts. You clearly are good at this. I just, you're just not applying yourself and it pisses me off. And he's like, okay. Thank you. I don't know why you're playing guidance counselor, but uh, it's uh, fine. I guess now we're on better footing. Yeah. Uh, The one thing I will say I found pretty interesting is Dr. Octopus is experiencing a lot of pain uh, due to the tearing off of his mechanical arm. Uh, This doctor... uh, shoots him up full of drugs um that wind up like not doing anything and we're forced to 
confront the fact that his pain is most likely psychosomatic. Not to say it's not real. I want to... Pain in your head doesn't become less painful Mm -hmm. because it's in your head. It's simply a kind of pain that cannot be fixed with painkillers and things of that nature. Mm -hmm. Um, And I thought that was interesting. So, Mm -hmm. so yeah. All right. Now we're going to the portion of the show wherein JR talks at length about Micronauts. Well, yeah. I mean, I'm not going to lie. I have been ridiculously excited for this for a number of reasons. Um, It is... It is right up my alley in so many ways. Plus, it's really it's really interesting just within the context of the reading list. We're not really reading licensed comics. Um, you know, even though even those where characters are appearing for the first time, like I think Red Ronin first appears in Godzilla. Um you know, Machine Man first appears in 2001, A Space Odyssey. We're not reading those. Mm-hmm. Um, but we are reading Micronauts. And not only that, we're reading a lot of Micronauts. Uh-huh. I got on the reading list and I went several pages ahead. And I got up to issue 38. Damn. So, you know, and there's only like 50 some odd issues of this, of this series. Uh, they do a follow-up series later that's like uh micronauts the new adventures Mm -hmm. but i mean we're reading a lot of this and i recognize that part of that is is because uh this is the basis for the enigma force and the unipower and stuff like that but we are reading a lot of this for a licensed book Mm -hmm. um so micronauts uh, Micronauts is one of those things there were, Marvel had done a lot of licensed books, um, because prior to this, they'd done, like I said, 2001, A Space Odyssey, um, the Planet of the Apes comics, um, the, uh, what am I trying to say? Conan, Conan uh-huh. and Red Sonia. And all of that, there they they done a lot of those in the late seventies. Though they started doing a thing um, that they would do throughout the seventies, eighties, and nineties, wherein they started partnering with toy companies um, to develop the. Um, the world of a toy line. Um, and certainly once you get into the 80s and you start getting into G.I. Joe and Transformers, it cannot be overstated how fundamental Marvel was in developing the mythos of the, you know, Bob Budiansky came up with Optimus Prime and Megatron and a lot of those. Uh, Larry Hama was you know, developing who the G.I. Joes were, even as Hasbro was developing the toys. Um, and so, yeah, it, it really is, um, 
interesting to look at that. Um, they done a series called Shogun Warriors, wherein um, they Marvel licensed Marvel and Mattel licensed um, toys from several tokusatsu and anime series in Japan. Um, and tokusatsu is that, is that if you're not familiar, um, is that genre of Japanese TV and movies uh, where it's Godzilla, Sentai series that would become Power Rangers, Kamen Rider, and so on and so forth. All of those um, that are heavy on special effects and the like. So they had licensed the the toys, which they then developed into Shogun Warriors. Uh, and this is one of my favorite little things. We might have actually gotten something akin <coughs> to Power Rangers um, 15 years before. Oh, uh, wow. Because... Stan Lee, in in working on stuff like Shogun Warriors, became aware of the Sentai series um, mm -hmm. and tried to bring them to the U.S. Um, in the same way that Saban later did. Um, and in fact, the reason Power Rangers happened was because Stan Lee was working with Margaret Loesch to do that. It failed. Nobody wanted it. But then later on, when Saban tried it, Margaret Loesch was now at Fox Kids, recognized what Sentai was from her working with Stan Lee years before, and greenlit Power Rangers. And that's how we wound up with that. Sorry, that's a random aside. Uh, it's, it's very interesting to me. Sorry. Uh, but so they, they did Shogun Warriors. Um... They did Rom, the Space Knight, which was a Parker Brothers toy. Um, and in in a situation like Rom, it was generally, or G.I. Joe or Transformers, it was usually the toy line uh, or the toy company coming to Marvel and saying, we want you to develop this. Um, occasionally, there are exceptions. One is uh, Chris Star which was a toy line, but the the exception there is that that was Marvel developing a concept that they then turned into a toy line and released a comic in an effort to try and make that toy line happen rather than the toy line coming, or the toy company coming to them. Another is Micronauts, because the story goes that in Christmas 1977, Bill Mantlo's son got a bunch of Micronauts toys. Uh, and Bill Mantlo was incredibly taken with them. He was seized with all of these ideas for concepts uh, that could be developed from it. And so Bill Mantlo went to Jim Shooter and convinced him to pursue the toy license. Um, and that's how the comic book came to be. It's actually... By the time the comic book came out, the toy line was winding down because Migo was in trouble. Uh-huh. Uh, but I'll get to that in a minute. So... Uh, All right. Yeah. 
so the the actual toy line there is there is i believe i've told you there's a direct line through a lot of toy history uh-huh. um the dna of other toy lines is baked into a lot of the stuff that winds up coming to the um to the shelves and certainly uh there are some series that some toy lines that have more dna in them than a hotel room rented by the hour um (laughs) and so it's it's really pretty interesting um barbie came out in 1959 produced by mattel and barbie was interesting because there were you know it was one of the first ones to say we sell a base doll we sell dolls that come with outfits but then additionally we also sell just outfits by themselves so if you already have a doll you can go and even though we're not getting the sale of every doll we're still bringing money in with their outfits Mm -hmm. so then in the early 60s hasbro brought out the male version of that which was gi joe um gi joe is actually where we get the term action figure uh because they knew that parents were not going to buy their sons dolls yeah so they're like it's not a doll it's an action figure motherfucker (laughs) but there were you know they they patented the uh the body type Mm -hmm. the the doll itself the action figure itself sorry uh they they patented the the body design and wound up uh licensing that around the world and one of the one of the companies that licensed the gi joe body was takara who in 1971 introduced a line called henshin cyborg now at that point in time they didn't think that just an out and out military toy would fly as well so they took it and um they regionalized it the same way we take stuff from other countries and regionalize it here so they took it and they took that body and they filled it up with all the they made a translucent plastic and put all of these sort of cyborgy bits mm-hmm. in there mm-hmm. and marketed it as a toy line called henshin cyborg wherein the outfits that were sold were ones that turned it into different characters he was a uh he was a cyborg who was able to transform into uh originally generic sort of like He's a space robot. Now he's a da 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 whatever. He's a uh, but eventually, but eventually, they actually started licensing other toy lines that they could then produce costumes for Henshin Cyborg. Cool. And he could turn into that character. Okay. So then, um, then comes 1973, and uh, don't know how much folks know about the early 70s there was an oil embargo saudi arabia and the other opec countries uh decided that certain countries had been a little too supportive of israel and uh, they decided to make it harder for them to um 
to buy oil. And uh, don't know if you know this, you need oil to make plastic. Um, oil prices shot up. It caused an energy crisis. But in addition, it made it very hard for a lot of countries to produce toys. Japan was one of the countries hit by the oil embargo. So what they wound up doing was they still produced Henshin Cyborg to a certain extent, but then they also scaled it down. Um, this accomplished three things. Number one, it was far cheaper to produce. Number two, uh, because Japanese homes <laughs> sorry, seem to uh, tend to be smaller, um, they take up less space. Plus, they were then able to market vehicles. So they introduced this new line called Microman. The difference about Microman versus other toy lines was twofold. Number one, uh, they were modular, which meant that a lot of the toys, you could take bits and pieces from the figures you had, combine them into new ways and things like that. We see a we see some of that come across in a very dark way in the comics we read <laughs> this week. Um, but that was one of the big selling points. The other thing is that's interesting is instead of being a scaled down representation of a full size character, Microman was supposed to be the actual size of these people who were fighting a war who pretended to be action figures whenever someone was around. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah. So, they then licensed that out. Um, and it was it was licensed by the company Mego. Uh, Mego is an interesting company <laughs> um, for a number of reasons. They produced a lot of stuff back in the day they did uh both marvel and dc toys with like cloth costumes and things like that they did planet of the apes chips starsky and hutch star trek i mean there were migos of all kinds of shit um but my migo my um uh licensed micronauts um in 1976 and brought it to the U.S. Um, at which point they started selling them, and it was really big, um, such that a lot of their a lot of their revenue came from uh, the the Microman or the Micronauts toy line at that point. Um, so much so that the story goes, they started buying up the licenses to everything that could possibly compete with Micronauts in order to protect the brand. Wow. So they started buying up the rights to every science fiction thing they could. Doctor Who in the U.S., all of these things that could potentially pose a threat to, um, to Micronauts, except Star Wars. Uh, supposedly, so there are conflict. The story goes that they passed on Star Wars. Uh, Marty Abrams has apparently, who was one of the founders of Mego, uh, went to jail for defrauding people during the dissolution of Mego. 
all of that. He has said, I was, I wouldn't have passed on Star Wars. I was out of the, out of the country at the time. I was never offered Star Wars. I don't know. I was, you know, I wasn't there. Nobody was. Um, but so, uh, and that actually, that's one of the things that really hurt them. Um, uh, they could not, they could not compete with the Star Wars toy line, uh, when it came out. And it was actually like Micronauts came out in 1976. Christmas 1977 was the first Star Wars toys offered it, uh, at retail, which was an empty box. Um, because they were not. Well, they weren't going to have the toys ready for Christmas 1977. They didn't ship until 1978, but they wanted to get in on that Christmas money. So what they did was they sold a display package with a with a certificate in there that you could then mail in for four figures once they were available. Oh. And it fucking worked. I don't know how like it shouldn't have no. but it fucking did um but anyway that's insane that re- it really it's, isn't it yeah it's insane i'm i've worked retail i worked a lot of retail yeah i've never worked toys um well kind of and i mean you were at that one discovery yeah, i was uh, at the discovery channel store for a yeah. while so toys yeah. were involved but not to this extent mm-hmm. and if i if a, if a parent came in to me and said having worked retail i want the star wars toys and i said cool let's go over here and handed them an empty box that parent <laughs> would have killed me and yeah. i would have been like no 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 it's fun like how do you sell that I can You sell that because people were so goddamn excited I guess. for the Star Wars toys. That's literally the only reason it worked. It was so big that people were okay. Like you you could you could do the whole like I'd gladly send yeah, you exactly. uh Han toys Solo. in in January <laughs> if you buy a box today. Yeah. Like I would if if I did that now, that's crazy. Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah. So, um, Micronauts, like I said, the uh the toy line, um, was winding down by the time the comic actually came out. Um, And it is, it's really, it's, well, I'll get to that. Uh, So the, the upshot of it all, because I think the, okay. So it, the toy line continued into 1980, but the comic was released in January, 1979. And, because toy um we had not yet gotten to gi joe because gi joe kind of 
perfected the formula for cross promotional marketing um wherein you have the cartoon you have the comic book you have the toys you have all of it and it's a media blitz mm-hmm. micronauts did not have a cartoon um and so by by the time the comic got going the toy line was petering out because it just wasn't able to keep the same momentum especially once star wars came out and it is kind of funny star wars the star the licensed star wars comics hit stands before micronauts did oh but whatever so anyway um microman on the other hand did continue going into the 80s and actually um new microman was introduced in 1981 then in 1983, they introduced MicroChange, and MicroChange is where a lot of the molds that would become Transformers came from. So all of the things in the original Transformers toy line that turned into everyday objects, yeah. Megatron, Reflector, Soundwave, um, you know, all of those, plus a lot of the mini vehicles like Bumblebee, Cliff Jumper. Huffer, Pipes, yada, yada, yada. Mm -hmm. Those were all from MicroChange, and then the majority of the rest were from another Takara toy line called Diaclum. Um, And that's that's why I say, like, there's so much DNA from so many different places in all of these toy lines. Mm -hmm. Um, But anyway, so Micronauts then, uh, as I said, I think it was 54 issues and an annual or two. Um, that ran and then the series got cancelled they did a brief uh, Micronauts The New Adventures um, but since then Micronauts has struggled um, it keeps getting it keeps getting shit canned elsewhere um, Marvel for their part Again, this is one of those weird rights things I absolutely love. Marvel has lost the rights to all of the um, all of the Micronaut stuff, with the exception of stuff like Arcturus Ran mm-hmm. is still owned by Marvel, uh, Marionette, and Bug, Bug. Yeah. and the Enigma Force. Um, however, the Time Traveler. Uh, that is in these comics a representative of and part of the Enigma Force is based on a Micronauts toy and is therefore not owned by them any longer. Uh, Baron Karza is gone. A Croyer uh, and his brother Prince Shaitan and all of those are gone. Microtron, Biotron, all of them gone. Uh, the ones that they do still own have been renamed Microns um, and uh, persist. Bug was a, a founding member of the present day version of the Guardians of the Galaxy. Uh, Arcturus Ran and the Enigma Force were all over the place. Um, Earth X and all, all kinds of other shit. Like, they're still around and still kicking. Um, but it is it is interesting. Um, Micronauts was one of the first ongoing titles alongside, I think, Kazar and Moon Knight, and a few others that were sold exclusively to comic shops. Um, 
you know when when the when the changeover to the direct market occurred it was one of those first titles that was only available in comic shops and not at newsstands so um so yeah i've prattled on for about <laughs> for over 20 minutes now but but like i said i just i the this is absolutely i could talk for a while about uh about licensed comics let me tell you about star ears now <laughs> um no you did that last week <laughs> <laughs> i didn't get fully in depth on the show damn it oh god uh, <laughs> No, I they're they're insanely interesting and the way in which you know like the interplay between you know a lot of a lot of the licensed books if a character appears in the book but is not from the toy line then Marvel owns it except for those situations where they don't because like I know in the Transformers comics they had Death's Head and Circuit Breaker appear elsewhere first so that they would continue to own the rights to them even after the license ran out. Whereas in situations like this, they introduce Bug and Micronauts and they're just like, yeah, we own him. Yeah. So it largely seems it it largely seems to be dependent on the way the contract is worked out, and it's not a given, but uh it is it's interesting to to uh really dive into that because i am a fundamentally broken person micronauts number one how what many, how many fucking legs does this guy have who carza uh, but we'll get there i guess well so carza one of the one of the things was uh carza was a character he came he had a horse okay. that he could combine with because if you see him in like two issue two and three, he has two legs. Yeah, and so that's one of the ways in which they introduced. Because so that was that was one thing. So toy lines generally fall into one of two categories. You have your like Marvel or DC or movie toy lines, wherein you are selling toys because they are of a specific character. Uh huh. The other toy type of toy line you tend to have is ones that have a unique gimmick or selling point. Occasionally you'll have those that are both, but we'll get into that when we get to Secret Wars. Um, but, you know, in, in the... And the 80s were a big time... The 70s and 80s were a big time for those toy lines that had a gimmick. Uh, Transformers, it was that they transformed. Uh, things like supernaturals and visionaries had holograms. In the case of He-Man, it was the ability to explore the male form in a way that the other kids on the toy on the uh, playground wouldn't make fun of you. Uh, you know, but either way, it would there was something that drew you to that toy line. Mm -hmm. um, and in the case of Micronauts, it was. Um, that parts could be swapped in between. And in these comics, you have Karza combining with his horse, but you also, one of the darker things that they introduce here is the fact that the wealthy are able to extend their lifespans by taking parts or, in or indeed entire bodies from the poor. Yeah. Um, 
which is feels a little too relevant uh, at times. Uh, but, you know, so you, <laughs> yeah, like they have these body pits basically where mm. if you're poor, you go and you, your body is dissected and divvied up amongst those who can afford to pay. Um, so yeah, so. All right. Uh, Micronauts number one after all that, has a cover by Dave Cockrum and Al Milgram and is written by Bill Mantlo, penciled by Michael Golden, inked by Joseph Rubenstein, colored by Glynis Ween, lettered by Tom Orzakowski, and edited by Al Milgram. A funny little thing I will throw in since we're talking about toy lines. Michael Golden did a cover, worked on uh, Kristar for okay. uh, Marvel as well. And on the cover of one of the issues of Kristar was a horned skull that was then kind of sort of stolen by Glenn Danzig. Uh, if you see like a lot of Danzig like covers, yeah, uh, you know, they'll, a lot of their merch has that horned skull that is taken directly from Michael Golden's art. And actually, while Michael Golden was never paid for that, while sure. Danzig straight up ripped it off, he will sign those. Uh, but anyway. <laughs> um, so in the microverse, Arcturus Ran returns from a thousand years exploring to discover that Baron Karza has deposed the royal family and taken over. He has captured the prince. The princess Mary is on the run. Um, and he and his robotic co-pilot Biotron join fo forces with a croyer. Uh, of the Acroyer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's the name of both him and his race. Um, name, Princess job, race. He is Acroyer. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Marionette, who's Princess Mary, Microtron, and Bug, and escape through his... Through, uh, escape using his ship through the barrier surrounding the Microverse at the behest of the mysterious time traveler who we've already discussed is a is an aspect of the enigma force um like i said a, there's a there's a lot of dark shit at work here um yeah uh a croyer has anger issues and yeah cut a bitch faster which i understand like he got he got royally fucked yeah. through all of this. Um, the one thing I will say that I was a little, uh, and maybe that was just the uh, keep me in the shoes of the guy who's been away for a thousand years, is that I don't understand how the royal family can be the insurrectionists. Like at first, I was just like, "Wait, what? Who's in charge right now?" Carza. Alright. Who was in charge when? The royal family. And they got the people to rise up because... Or Carza got the people to rise up because he was promising them immortality even though he's going to actually steal their bodies and give them to the poor. Or to the rich. Yes. So he's a good liar. Yeah. Kinda. Mm -hmm. Maybe. Science. Uh, okay. Alright, I guess it's not that you hard. You would... Well, I mean, nobody, Nova, nobody ever went poor convincing people to 
to vote against their own interests. I, you know, if we're being real here, yeah. Yeah. Um, the, uh, the thing, the thing is there is a definite, uh, Arcturus Ran is kind of a tiny, tiny version of, uh, Vance Astro in that. Yeah. Not only a thousand year trip through the universe, but also, uh, when he comes to, he discovers that the races he was sent to discover have already found their way. I liked that around. That was the uh, part that I own. liked the best was probably as far as like a concept for a character is. Yeah. Just like Vance. I like it better in Vance Astro, but I, I still like the idea of coming back and finding the people that you were supposed to be ahead of already there and being mm-hmm. like, what? Why well, spent all this time in cryo sleep? What the fuck? And they're like, yeah, everybody you know is dead. And we figured out a faster way to get around. Oh. Lol. Okay. Yeah. I mean, you know, at, well, it's, you know, at one it point, is what it is. You kind of have to be like, hey, man, you were asleep for a thousand years. Did you think we'd just stop while I mean, you made ta- your fucking journey? Is progress too- marches on. Yeah. Like, it it would suck. Yeah. But, like, it's a it was a possibility when you left, bro. You had to have known that. Yeah. So. Um, yeah, they break through the space. Well, what else is there? Uh, the story's interesting. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, we're getting a lot of setup here. Um, you know, the nature of a licensed comic like this is you have to find a way to work everything in. Mm-hmm. You can't, you can't slow roll. Um, you can't slow roll things. You can't have Arcturus ran return and then slowly introduce the acroyer it is we have a toy line we're trying to sell get it all in there um get it let's go so uh (laughs) get in stupid we're selling a toy line (laughs) uh micronauts number two has a cover by michael golden and joseph rubenstein uh, colored by Francois Moulet and lettered by John Costanza. Um, escaping through the barrier and arriving on present-day Earth, uh, the Micronauts are attacked by a puppy and a lawnmower uh, <laughs> before being attacked by the forces commanded by a Croyer's brother, Prince Shaitan. Um, they, they manage to fight off the forces initially, uh, in the process, uh, destroying this teen boy Steve's backyard, um, and leaving, they get s- the, they end up making contact with Steve and kind of explaining to him what the hell's going on, um, and then are attacked. Yeah, they're attacked. They blow up, blow the shit out of the backyard, uh, destroy one of the ships that was attacking them, and Bug is left behind. Yeah, they get separated from Bug and lead Shaitan on a chase through Daytona, Florida, um, leaving Steve to get his ass whooped. Mm-hmm. Um, in the process, you know, 
the other Karza thing... is preparing the prince for experiments, mm-hmm. uh, but we don't. We have yet to really get to what that's going to involve. And the other thing you can tell, like, oh, this is a toy line, is that the ships attacking them are mo- very modular and like break- the wings come off and turn into right. their own little fighter ships and stuff like that. So, yep. Uh, so Micronauts number three is colored by Carl Gafford, uh, and, uh, Steve's dad, Ray, forgoes, uh, whipping his son's ass once he sees the tiny corpses littered around (laughs) his backyard. That's what I thought you meant when you were talking about it being fucking dark, because that moment is like, and then a moment a little further on when he's talking to his boss at, I assume, Cape Canaveral. Mm-hmm. And he's like, um, he's, there's, he picks up this tiny body and he's like, oh shit, um, this is a person. Uh, and his son's like, yeah, I tried to tell you. And he's like, yeah, ah, this is, oh God, what is all this? And he picks it all. And then the, the scene later is him on, on the phone and, uh, all this stuff, like the, the scraps of the ship and this, and the body are in a shoebox on the kitchen table and it's just like god damn that's grim yeah. yeah and so one thing i i feel like if you are a parent in the marvel universe uh you have to um you have to allow for the fact that weird shit happens I feel like if this were to happen in our world, if I came home and there were smoking craters in my backyard and I said to Moira, like, what the fuck? And she was like, there were tiny ships, daddy. I would just be like, okay, you need to go in your room and you need to think long and hard. And when you are ready to tell me the truth, you can come back because I love you and I want you around, but not if you're going to lie to me. Um, but if you live in the, if you live in the Marvel universe, you have to work from a standpoint of there's a lot of shit, weird shit in the world. Yeah. And then like, so if your kid is like tiny ships, dad, with little people and they were blowing shit up, then you have to, you have to be like, that is something that could happen. (laughs) I am going to assume you're telling the truth until I have reason to think that you're not uh, <laughs> there's also so, there's also when they're he, he they start this issue three so i should let you do the do the rundown if anything changed uh so the micronauts go on a chase through daytona there's cars that are like holy shit what is that um the jets are scrambled because they're like we've got bogeys but but the pilots are like, where? Uh, <laughs> where, are, where are they? They're about the size of a football and flying 15 feet off the ground. How the fuck am I going to deal with that? I'm a jet. I'm in, I'm in a plane that flies really fast and really high. I can't get that close. They're like, they're like 15, off, 15 feet off the ground. I'm in a jet, yeah. man. If I fly that low, I am destroying Property. windows yeah. everywhere I go. Yeah. Um, but so they're able to send Shaitan uh, fleeing back to the microverse. Um, 
They disc- uh, Microtron informs them that there is a tracer planted on the ship, which they dispose of. A croyer goes out and decides to face his brother's ship, uh, Mono a ship. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, like he's, it's just him with a flight harness against a ship. Um, and he succeeds. Like, dude, what the fuck? Uh, but they head back to the coffin house. Uh, or head back in the direction of the coffin house to try and locate Bug as Bug is looking in the window trying to figure out a way to get hold of the ship that is in the shoebox and find his way home. Mm-hmm. Um, a thing that a thing that is really interesting to, uh, you know, like I, I keep bringing up that this is interesting in the context of licensed comics. Um, the way in which they handle licensed comics sometimes is also very odd because in the case of books like um like uh transformers nick fury and spider-man appear in the early issues of trans the transformers comic uh placing them in the marvel universe however Mm -hmm. At a certain point, they said, this is an alternate Marvel universe that has a Nick Fury and a Spider-Man, but it's not the mainstream Marvel universe. Whereas with books like this and Rom the Space Knight, um, even though they've lost the rights to them, they still occurred within the mainstream Marvel universe. They didn't try to shuffle them off to the side. It's still the 616. Wow. So. It's it's a it's a weird thing that shakes out sometimes where it's just like I don't know. Fuck. It may or may not be at any given time. Ask us next week. We may have a different answer for you. So, anyway, uh yeah, like I I enjoyed this more than some licensed books I've read. Um there's a lot of interesting concepts, and Bill Mantlo's doing, I think, a good job. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah. I'm really excited to see where we're going. It's clear that he, that what you said, that he saw his kid playing with the toys and was like, holy shit, these are cool. Like, yeah. let's, let's do this. And probably there was some Star Wars in his mind as well, um, because Star Wars was fucking everywhere. And uh, you can tell that that's kind of what he was thinking about. And I I dig it. Yeah. Well, and and it's interesting, you know, Micronauts Micronauts did wind up having certain lingering effects. um, Because if you look at, you know, G.I. Joe, a real American hero, one of the reasons for the scaling down of the figures was because then they could sell vehicles. Mm Mm-hmm. But another reason was because of Kenner's Star Wars line. But I I don't think you can just point to Kenner's Star Wars line because compared to something like that, G.I. Joe had a lot more articulation. Mm -hmm. And so I think there's a a healthy dose of Micronauts in there because they did have significantly more articulation than any of the other toys on the market at that time um you know 
generally you could hope for maybe five points of articulation if you were lucky but micronauts had a ton um yeah i'm actually looking at some of the toys and uh well i'm looking at baron karza and you got at least six or at least seven one two three four five six seven eight nine maybe the feet two um and also it's interesting because uh at least at the on this figure there um the articulation points on the figure are uh bearings yeah well and that's what uh those were actually those were magnetic bearings i believe in a lot of the figures oh, cool which so that's were, how it's that's how you can attach them to the horse All right. i think i think so i mean i i never owned micronauts so i don't I'm not sure. Um, but yeah, they did. They did. They had a lot more articulation than other toys of the era. Um, so, yeah. Um, anyway, top five? Top five! The Watcher's Guide's Top Five! I feel like this episode should be called Hope You Like Micronauts. <laughs> and now for a tangent. <laughs> All right. Talk. It's not a tangent. It's relevant to the thing we're doing, but yeah, I just, I went all over. I cover it. I went way too in depth. Um, <laughs> all right. So top five, top five. Uh, I have an honorable mention uh, because I don't know why, but I read this so fucking dark in my head. Is uh, Dad or Steve's dad in the backyard going, "Son, Muffy isn't moving. Muffin isn't moving." <laughs> and I was just like, "Oh shit! They killed the dog!" <laughs> and I, it just scared the shit out of me because I was like, "Don't kill Muffin." Um, and turns out, no, no, she's fine. She's just stunned. Um, all right, so that out of the way uh number five uh shawshan is the only one who knows that peter is spider-man that's just she's the only one who clocked the pants and everybody else is like he's like that sometimes i think he's like that because he's spider-man no shawshan no 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 peter sucks um number four uh the marcy apology scene um i just that was the best part of that annual by far, uh, to me, I think. Um, number three is uh, Peter knowing that he takes his powers for granted, like having that show up. I guess that's in that same annual. Um, and then uh, number two is the mind worm, mind worm ending because of all the reasons we said. Um, and then uh, and number one is the uh, Peter and Robbie at the river. Um, yeah just venting some shit that they both needed to get out there um mm -hmm. i guess my last honorable mention is uh also doc oct careening through the city screaming jimbo at the top <laughs> of his lungs <laughs> i just tickled the shit out of me where is jimbo ryan because jimbo is such a shitty name for a criminal it's 
That's not a crime name. No, no one's taking you serious when you're like, Jimbo's gonna plunk you. What? No. I'm done. Go for it. <laughs> uh, number five is, Dad, look at the tiny corpses. Yeah. God. Uh, <laughs> um, number four is uh, Peter ma- unmasking for the burglar because I thought that was an incredibly effective scene. Wherein the guy's like, why do you care? And he's just like, boom. Yeah. And he's like, oh, fuck. Yeah. I'm a die. Um, <laughs> How do I know you're not going to kill me? I'm not going to kill you, but I'm going to beat the shit out of you. Get over here. Um, a lot can happen between <laughs> here. between perfectly healthy and dead. You may not be shitting straight anymore, <laughs> but you're going to be alive. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, number three, uh, I really like the way they, they included the modularity of the Micronauts toys Uh into the comic. I thought that was a really well handled thing and surprisingly dark for a toy comic. Yeah. Um, So, yeah. Uh, number two is, uh, Mindworm and number one, unsurprisingly, is, uh, Robbie and Peter. Mm Mm-hmm. So, right. uh, that is that is it for us this week. Uh, join us next time. We're going to be write, reading a whole lot of Micronauts. Uh, and then we'll also have the first appearance of Scott Lang as Ant-Man. Um, so, that's exciting. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the meantime, rate and review us wherever you listen to podcasts because it gets us in more front of more eyes. Um, email us. Uh, all of your hate mail at watchersguide at gmail.com. Like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, both individually and at watchersguidemu. And visit our website at watchersguide.com where you can download episodes of the show and see all of the reading lists going back to the very first episode. Have a micronauty week. Bye. Micronauts. Oh, 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 oh,